I want to share a brief testimony because I think it will help us connect a little bit more. What you see isn't what was supposed to be. My mom, when she had her first child, lost that child to Boston's Children's Hospital with tuberculosis at the age of three. And my sister stayed there until she was the age of eight with tuberculosis recovery. My mom got pregnant with a second child and that baby died of a brain tumor. When my mom got pregnant for me, my dad was living in Pittsfield because he had tuberculosis and he was home on one of those visits with his wife and God had a plan and it resulted in me. However, my mom was convinced I was a mistake. My mom kept me because in 1950, that's what you did. But my mom lived from a place of fear and I was totally modeled that the world is scary, that people will hurt you, that you die or worse. And so at the age of seven, when it was time for me to go to school and be with other children and grow, I remember my mom putting me on the school bus and crying. And when I got home, my mom was still crying. The first week I went to school, whatever that was she was sending me to wasn't good because when I left, she was crying. And when I came home, she was crying. So needless to say, I spent my first year in school in the nurse's office looking at those little dots in the ceiling more than I did in classrooms. I was the youngest child at Dartmouth-Hitchcock to ever have ulcers at the age of seven because of the anxiety that had been transferred onto me. Couldn't endure classrooms, would sit in a corner, would be very sad. And that was my way of life. The one thing that I love, ladies, is we went to the Methodist church. That was my roots. We sang, Jesus loves me, this I know. Thank God for Sunday school teachers. Because I had an old Mrs. Frazier, and she would hold me, and she would say, Jesus loves you. And it felt so good. It felt so safe. It felt so right. And so I grew to love the Lord, but I grew more and more fearful in the area of people, in the area of you, I was convinced that persons would set you up but really try to hurt you. And I don't have that testimony of sexual abuse. My, my dad was a wonderful man. Uh, uh, and yet my mom definitely modeled to me that you don't want to put yourself out there. School ended up getting better with time. But, you know, I got out my high school yearbook and my senior English teacher wrote in my yearbook, someday I'm going to get to hear you stand up and do public speaking. 
Because when I was a senior, I was supposed to do that. I passed out cold. True story. They had to get the smelling salts, and they put in my record, this is not necessary for her. <laughs> and yet, here I am. Here I am. And we're going to take a journey, and I'm going to share with you the freedom that the Lord has brought into my life from that platform. Fast forward to the fact that the Lord called me to his side through several experiences, which I won't linger on. But when I got saved, I really wanted the Lord to use me someplace. At that point, I was in the Catholic Church with my husband. I had switched from Methodicism. How many of you know if you marry a French-Canadian man with a family of 200, you probably become Catholic? So I love the church, love the Catholic church. I'm not putting it down at all. But it was a no-brainer that that's what we were going to do. And so when I moved into fellowship within the Catholic church, the priest said, well, there's not a lot of place for women in leadership. You either become a nun or there, there just wasn't that place. And I thought, well, I want to serve. I want to be involved. And so the Lord moved me sovereignly toward a ministry that was just growing, 1978. To save you, any of you thinking I am 65 years old, neither here nor there, that's just who I am. And in 1978, Aglow, a Women's Aglow Fellowship, was an organization nationwide that was growing up. And I thought, that sounds like fun. We need that in, quote, Claremont, New Hampshire, which is where I live for 39 years of my life. I got involved with the Globe, but do you know the very first thing they did was put on one of these, much smaller than this, there were about 20 of us, training meetings. Training meetings where I'm going to have to sit shoulder to shoulder with somebody that I don't know if she's going to like me. I don't know if she's going to reject me. I don't know if I'm going to belong. I thought, oh my goodness, I don't know that I can go there, but I knew I wanted to. I went. The very first night, ladies, the very, very, very first night, somebody looked at me, and somebody said something, and they hurt me, and they scared me, and they caused me to feel rejected. And this was at Singing Hills in Plainfield, New Hampshire. Ladies, I remember it like it was yesterday like it was yesterday. I went into the bathroom of the room that we were staying in. I sat on the floor and I sobbed because I felt so unaccepted. I felt so scared. I felt so unwanted. I felt so lost. And yet I had accepted Christ. What was the key I was missing? I function out of the gifting of word of knowledge. For those of us that are Pentecostal, who understand the gifts of the Spirit, it brought me through Emerge training later, it brought me into the ministry of counseling. There's a gifting in my heart that scripture refers to as the gifting of the word of knowledge. The first time I ever experienced this knowledge that came to me, I was sitting on that bathroom floor and the Holy Spirit said, only believe. I heard it like it was a boom from heaven. Lynn, 
if you'd only believe. And I realized I wasn't believing. I didn't know what to believe. Oh, but I wanted to with all my heart. So I went home from that training, later to be the Aglow president, and four years I've presided under that, but it took two years of praying through the fact that God was gonna set me free by the theme we're learning today. What was I to only believe? I am crucified with Christ. Therefore, I no longer live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And I was honored by Lisa's flyer about today, because up in the corner, it talks about being a free woman, free of boldness, free in boldness in Christ. And I sometimes can intimidate the brethren in the assemblies because there is a measure of boldness because when you understand and when you have been put under and when you have spent your life afraid of people, when you really want to love them, when God sets you free, hallelujah, you are free indeed. You are free indeed. My learning came from a revelation out of who I was in Christ in those days, early 80s, it was called righteousness. It's the same thing as the teaching of who we are in Christ. See, righteousness in Scripture, if you want to do a word study, it's all through Scripture. Righteousness is when we become right in God, not because of who we are, but because of who he is, and we take it into ourselves to be that. What he died for, I can now live for. All the punishment that he suffered is now mine to be free in. I love a definition of righteousness, which is not scripture. But from a counselor's point of view, it is just incredible. It says, righteousness is the ability to stand in the presence of the Father without a sense of guilt, without a sense of condemnation or inferiority, as though sin had never happened or existed. To be right with God, to be able to be so free that you don't feel like when you go to prayer, he's pointing out, you did this, you did that, you did this, you did that, because that's not what our God wants. And we'll talk about condemnation at the end of my talk. But knowing the righteousness, let me give you a couple of scriptures. God made him who had no sin, that's my Jesus, to actually become sin. He became my fear. He became my anxiety. He became all those things that were keeping me in bondage for me so that I might be the righteousness of God, so that I might be right with God, so that I might be free with God. Philippians 2 ways is that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness. That's in the law. That's in works. We want to live from the place of the Spirit. Faith, if we stop our emotions and stop our insecurities and stop the things that hold us back from serving, as we heard, then are we righteous and then I'm able to say, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not the answer for you. 
but I know the answer for you. And I will stand with you. I will fight side to side. Um, my counseling ministry, I work for like 30 different churches. And that's a lot of different doctrinal stances. And I don't always uh, align my faith with where they're coming from. But if God has called her to that church, God is using her in that fellowship, I will stand arm in arm in her to fight for the freedom that she is walking in. And if God brings her to a different place, that's fine. And if he doesn't, I'm not her God. We are all on a journey. Don't let people tell you how you should be. Let them tell you to draw near to God, get in the word, know who you are, find fellowship with good people, but you need to have that personal God that'll draw you through. And we'll look at some of those principles. When Lisa, um, well, I guess pastor called, then I called, then I talked to Lisa a little bit about what the theme of today was and what we would be sharing. I said, that's so interesting because I have been singing this little song and it had been going round and round in my head. And um, I, have, I have hearing aids, I'm hearing impaired. And um, so I have closed caption on my television. And how many of you know the, um, there's a Christmas movie called Meet Me in St. Louis, where uh, uh, Judy Garland is in it. Um, uh, she sings that famous Christmas song, which eludes me right now. But anyway, I had that movie on. And there's one place where the little girl that gets into all kinds of things, and she's always doing all kinds of things. She's the end, one that ends up beating up the snowman halfway through the movie. But that's neither here nor there. But she runs down the street, and she gets into a milk wagon, and she's singing a song. Now, you could watch this movie, and you would never catch this because it's not that important in the movie. But if you're reading the screen, and all of a sudden across the screen comes these words and she's singing them brighten the corner where you are brighten the corner where you are someone far from the harbor you may guide across the bar brighten the corner where you are and I said Lord only you could take a very insignificant part of a movie to show me a song that I have been singing to confirm to me that the message that I'm bringing to the ladies is brighten the corner where you are. And so that is my theme. That is what I'm going to share. Let me bring these points together. The actual song says, do not wait until some deed of greatness you may do. Do not wait to shed your light afar. To the many duties ever near you now be true and brighten the corner right where you are. Later, it says, just above the clouded skies, that you may help to clear. Let your narrow self your way debar, though into one heart alone may fall your song of cheer. Brighten the corner where you are. Brighten the corner where you are. The woman that wrote this hymn back in 1913 was going to be a very famous speaker. Her father had a car accident. She had to lay aside her desires and her wishes, go home and take care of dad the rest of his life. You know, she could have been famous for speaking, but none of the people would be alive today to know about her great speaking. But the song, if you look it up on YouTube, it's there, Brighten the Corner Where You Are. The song has lived for all the, uh, uh, for, since all this time, and it's, and it's a great encouragement 
to us that are reminded that we need to be shining where we are. Because of who we are in Christ, the first principle that he wanted me to share, and Pastor touched on so much of it, but it's living from love. Living from love. Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God has been shed apart in our hearts. I, I, I have people sometimes in my life that I don't necessarily want to serve. I have people uh, in the church situation. Our church is three or 400 people, plus all the spouses and kids. You know, sometimes things happen. There's another meeting. There's another this. There's another stuff that everything fell through the cracks and nobody remembered to cover that kind of thing. I mean, stuff happens in our lives. And I try to bring myself back to the principle because of who I am in Christ I can draw from the love of God in me for the most unlovely because by God's grace there go I I could still be the little girl in the corner who's afraid of people and who doesn't do anything or worse addicted or whatever else I could have had God is love Getting the freedom of the revelation, again, Pastor touched on, he loves us. That's it. He doesn't leave us, he doesn't leave us where he found us because he loves us. But we're the same way with our children or grandchildren. We don't want them to just stay immature and broken and not grown up. But out of a life of love, I am a firm believer, and this is a 44-year marriage here you're looking at. I am a firm believer that our husbands have love needs that we sometimes, as women, are not meeting because we're not choosing to live from the place of God's love. We can live from a place of selfishness. We can live from a place of, but I deserve this, but I deserve that. But I'm telling you, ladies, that if we do what Scripture says and obey the Lord in the areas of intimacy with our husbands, relationships with our mother-in-law, sister-in-laws, or any in-law situations, I think we have sister-in-laws here, um, that God can honor our obedience and help us to see that we can grow in the things of the Lord because we have selected to say, yes, Lord, that's your will for my marriage. And I'm, by all means, I'm not saying to stay in a, you know, an abusive situation. But we women have an ability to have relationships by faith that who knows over time the Lord may renew totally. I've had ladies come into my life and I think, I don't know that she and I would really be click. You know, we'd love to click with those we click with. Birds of a feather flock together. But sometimes the Lord will bring a relationship and you think, oh, I talked to this dear sweet sister today that does the shoeboxes in the back. I said, I don't do crafts. I mean, she and I would have very little in common. I don't, you know, a craft for me is honing in the word, is spending hours in the word. But thank God for what she's doing and thank God for her gift. And, you know, I need to thank God that she can bring something to me that, that God might want to bring out of me that I just hadn't experienced before. We need to stop fearing each other and embracing each other. I did have a season 
after all of my freedom of growing in Christ and understanding the Lord, that I moved into Emerge, my training for counseling, my Assembly of God education and all that stuff, and I, I kind of moved away from the Word. You know, in the 80s there, there wasn't a lot of evangelism, there wasn't a lot of stuff going on, and so I started getting more heady in my walk with God instead of in my heart, remembering that he had made me his righteousness. And boy, the Lord let me go through a very difficult time. A very tormenting spirit ended up coming into my life. I ended up being unable to eat for months. It was hard. It was really, 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 really hard. And I want to say, but God, you've been so light and so easy and so good to me, and I've been so free and I've been so bold, and this really stinks. And he showed me a picture, and somebody here needs this today. He showed me the picture of a scarecrow. And the word of the Lord came to me, and it's not scripture, but it's Lynn. (laughs) Satan is phony, and he's lifeless but he will scare you out of the harvest. He will scare you out of relationships. He will scare you out of a marriage. He will scare you out of the church. He will scare you out of politically being involved. We won't even go there. But Satan will scare us, and this is a season. Scripture does say that in the end times, men's hearts are going to fail them for fear. So I want to remind you that the liar lies, and he will lie to you, and he will try to tell you things, and he will try to separate you. And the principle of living from God's love is something we can bank on because there's so much we can't do, but from God's love we can. Second point. My life, I tried desperately to live out of this principle. You'll find it actually in a secular book. Uh, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Stop Worrying. I was at a yard sale book book, uh, thing down in, uh, again, at that time, Claremont, New Hampshire. I am standing. I remember I'm working through this anxiety thing. I'm learning how to grow. I'm learning to be in his righteousness. I'm going to church. I'm pioneering a glow. I'm praying it through. And I pick up this book, How to Stop Worry. A person leans over my shoulder, lovely woman, and said, you need that book. Oh, so I'm looking through it. I turned around, honest to God, she was nowhere to be found. To this day, I will argue with you, it was an angel. That I needed that book. I needed that book for the first chapter, if not the rest of it. The first chapter of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Stop Worrying, is titled, Live Day Tight Compartments. This part I will read. There was a Yale professor who crossed the ocean, and he observed the captain's ability to press a button and was able to close off into watertight compartments various parts of the ship. Revelation came to him that his life needed to be lived like that regarding the past, regarding the future. He later taught his students, including Jesus' words, remember, give us this day our daily bread. He didn't say this week. He didn't say our 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 coupon needs for the month. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And he taught from the scripture that says, take no thought for tomorrow, 
for tomorrow shall indeed take thought for itself. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. If you study that out, it's actually not saying we shouldn't think about tomorrow. God forbid, if I don't buy groceries, then I'm not going to be able to make a meal. But it means have no anxiety for tomorrow. Have no anxiety. Any of you that know anything of the 12-step, one day at a time, one day at a time. That's what living day-tight compartments is. It is saying, indeed, the fear that I was going through and the tormenting experience I had from Emerge, I needed to put behind me, and I had to realize that Satan was a liar. He was getting me all caught up in things that I did not get to get caught up. And as I literally took one day at a time, and at that time with the eating situation, I ate one meal at a time. And I got through that time, which was a very hard time. Scripture says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. One day at a time is putting the past behind you. Because the Lord has called us to live in him, in the now. He's a now God. What did he tell Moses his name was? I am. I am. I'm not was. I'm not I will be. God, in describing his name to Moses at the burning bush, said, I am. So as we live from a place of love to grow in this freedom in Christ, we do it when? One day at a time. One day at a time. And a lot of you know this. I'm just here to remind us of those things that we need to know. Stop taking those things that are not for today. Hmm. Interesting. I'm reminded if you will tolerate me. Another time that the Lord spoke specifically to my heart, Pierre and I were at a full gospel businessmen's convention, and I was sitting there worshiping. And all of a sudden, ladies, as I'm worshiping, I see a shadow in front of me. And I see me walking, and I'm walking through the shadow. Now, needless to say, how many of you know the shadow is not supposed to be in front of you? If you have a shadow, it's behind you. So as always, this silly little scared gal who was growing up in Christ said to the Holy Spirit, what's that all about? And the word of the Lord that came to me and is life to me to this day was, Lynn, you keep taking stuff that's in your past. You put it in front of you and you want to walk through it again and again and again. You need to put the past past. We need the principle of living day-tight compartments. Amen. Thank you, Father. You're so good to me. Third principle. Finding balance. The title he gave me was Attitude Adjustment. I said, that sounds like a Joyce Meyer you know, chapter, if you know Joyce Meyer at all. You got to adjust your attitude. You got to work on your attitude. I can have a bad attitude. Interesting, when Pastor called and asked me to share my uh, uh, house had just been opened up to a gal who's going through a divorce. 
She has a little seven-year-old girl. And I had guest rooms. And she moved in. Bag and baggage. My garage, my, you know. And so all of a sudden, Pierre and I were retired, have a woman and her. And I'm singing, bright in the corner where you are. I couldn't even find my corners anymore. <laughs> you know, and she was gracious and trying to put stuff away. But how many know in the kitchen you have, you know, where stuff goes. And all of a sudden, you've got outsiders trying to help out. And, well, anyway, when I came to this finding balance, I thought, okay. Yes, Lord, we definitely need balance. The balance that I'm talking about in the adjusting of attitudes is the balance regarding our thinking. We women can get so caught up in living from a place of our feelings, which, remember, under the toilet, totally where I was at as a new believer, they don't like me. They rejected me. I don't What am I doing here? You know. Not knowing yet to claim the word, say the word, speak the word. Go and get a sister and tell her, this just happened. You know, can you pray for me? Can you love on me? I love the Campus Crusade for Christ little booklet on salvation. Because it's got three parts, and I want to just briefly share them to help you learn this principle. It has an engine of a train, it has a middle car, and it has a caboose. The engine of the train, ladies, is the truth of the gospel. That should be what draws us. That should be the power we live on. What the Bible says, and I'm such a believer in the Bible, I would love to see this new generation just fall in love with Scripture again. That's why you have the Bible promise books on your chair. Actually, there's one of my ministry cards in them, but I want to share with you the importance of speaking and saying and believing what that says. When anxiety rises up, God's word is life. God's word is truth, and it is power. And even if you don't feel like it's going to do anything, it works. So you've got the engine. The second part is indeed faith. Faith is what teaches us what that engine is driving us in our Christian walk, that we let the gospel bring us along. We put faith in the fact that God is worthy. We put faith in the fact that we're in Christ and we go along. We put faith in the facts of what scripture is. We tell the devil when he's a liar. Maybe you don't tell your friends or your family they're a liar to their face, but you know when the evil one is raising up something. And the interesting thing in that... Um, little teaching is the fact do you know what the caboose is women always put the engine full of feelings the caboose is the feelings we are not to live by our feelings this is the if there's anything in the council in the area of persons that need counseling we often have to work at is like feelings lie you can't live by your feelings there is no life in feelings number one they can change I mean, I can start one thing now, and something can happen, and this can happen, and that can happen. I, can, I was having a good day. And then all these things happen. Why do we have to adjust our attitude? Because too often we are living from our feelings, and we are beat up, and we are brought low. And churches are literally destroyed <laughs> over feelings. So we need to adjust our attitude by finding balance. How? living from a place of love, living one day at a time, 
daytight compartments, not living by feelings, but living by the word of God. However, point four, and then there's just going to be one more. Some of us cannot even hear me or get to this place because there's so much condemnation. If you live in condemnation, then the love of God can't be real for you. You, ju you just can't. You can't. That's for her. That's for that one that's called or this one that serves or that one. No. It's for all of us. For all of us. Our basic evaluation of ourselves, our value, our worth, it has been scarred by shame and blame. I love to think, quite frankly, of Christian counseling and more of discipleship and exhortation. But that's, you know, I don't do psychology. Psychology will say you have all the answers within you and you need to just draw them out and, and work from there. There's some truth to that, but I'm a Christian counselor, so I say, you know, in me there's no good thing. In me there's nothing that will accomplish anything that's life-giving, but in me there's Christ. And so that, that Christ in us is what, what a, a person, or a good pastor, a good sermon, a good friend can draw out and say, do what you know to do. I know it's in you. I know you're able to do it. I believe in you. Some of us could use a good cheerleader <laughs> in our relationships. Romans 6 and 7 in Scripture, 6, 7, and 8 are worthy of reading. They're just incredible. It talks about the law, uh, our acceptance, our struggle with righteousness uh, outside of God. The Old Testament's all about, uh, you know, the, the grace of Jesus Christ, the foreshadowing of what's going to come in the New Testament when Jesus comes. But Romans 8, 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are where? In Christ, our theme. Because we are in Christ, we are going to brighten these corners. And I see some people here with some grayer hair. And, you know, my mom lived with us. She passed away on hospice care. But, you know, even in her late 80s, she was still calling people on the phone. She was still on her church's Springfield Assembly of God prayer line. She was still trying to shine no matter where she went, and I so admired that about her. Because I tell you, I am, I am grieved. I am grieved that sometimes within our church situations, you know, the older you get, the more they kind of put you out to pasture. And you've got to find, darn it, you've got to find your own corner. I have a corner at Denny's. I do. So I'm right back there by the restroom. If you haven't been to Denny's in Burlington, they have redone it. It's awesome. But I know at least four of the servers that know me well, that know me well enough to say, will you pray for me? My family's going through this, that, or the other. I, I, it's nothing to do with me. Okay, but I just believe in brightening whatever corner God sends me to. I get, you know, persons in other situations. I love the fact Pastor said something about our friend circle. Well, I have people I don't even know circles but they become friends. If people know that you're a prayer person and that you're trying to shed the light of Jesus Christ, then they warm up to you. Everybody needs prayer. Everybody needs that touch from God. So to be delivered from condemnation, I am going to help you. I'll tell you right now, it's work. It takes believing. 
But if you will search the scripture and just get three scriptures or call pastor or find a leader at the church and say, I struggle with, I have a sweet lady I love, I adore her. She's such a honey in the church. She has a problem with shoplifting. Can we be honest? You know, I mean, we got heroin addicts too, but I mean, this lady has, and there's a comparison to sin, sin is sin. But to try to help her walk out of that, we have to give her some scriptures that when she goes into Walmart, right now I don't think they let her go into Walmart. Tell you the truth. But when she goes to a new store, Target, she takes these scriptures and she relies on those scriptures because to be delivered is work. I'm going to cry. The cross was work. Jesus paid a high price. So this friend of mine doesn't have, she doesn't even need the stuff. She just likes to shoplift. She thinks she does. It's demonic. We're helping her to get free from that condemnation. So as we are in Christ, full of the love of God, serving one day at a time, getting delivered from the condemnation, we can shine and do what we need to in those bright corners. The fact that God has called us into his kingdom is for his pleasure, but it's also for his service. I was so struck. Again, Holy Spirit, in studying and praying for y'all, the words came to me. Mary had to get up. Mary had to get up. Okay. Mary had to get up. And it was brought to the gospel where it talks about Martha and Mary. And it teaches that Martha was busy serving. And Mary wanted to sit at Jesus' feet. And she learns from Jesus. And it's a great example. Yes, we have to put him first. But Mary needed balance because what is the good of sitting and hearing one of most pastors' frustration, hearing message after message after message after message when you sit in church for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I used to have to tell my mom, you know, we don't know it till we do it. So what Mary learned at Jesus' feet, she had to get up and become a servant at some point herself. And so what we're learning here is wonderful, but we need to do something with it. We need to move into the fact that we serve wholeheartedly all men, all people, as we serve the Lord. To me, that is the only way to do it. Because people know, people know if you're just, you're just being nice to me to get me to your church. You're, you're just being, we, we, have, we have this thing at church, we, our church, we have so many committees and things going on, and I'm sure there's the same here, but people almost know if so-and-so approaches you, uh-oh, <laughs> she must have a kids ministry need. She must have a, you know, and that's, that's sad in a way because maybe she just wants to be your friend. Maybe she just wants to reach out to you. But likewise, the world knows if we're just trying to, quote, hook them in to something that we want them to be like. No, we need to love them for them.
We need to love them from where they're at. Life indeed has so many dead-end corners today. It has so many places where there's no brightness, where there's only darkness, and we need to shine that light. So I challenge you to live from that principle of love. Why his anointing? Because his love is put in your heart. Live those daytight compartments that he has ordained that we should live in. I've always said, if my work was finished, I'd be gone. Scripture says that. So we all have work to do, no matter what our age is. We need to live in an adjusted attitude, not from our feelings. Even if we don't feel like cooking for the kids, the kids need food. Even if we don't feel like being romantic with our husband, husbands have needs. Even if we don't feel like tithing, ouch, ouch, I'm a firm believer in tithing. I have seen it work in my, in my life, so much so. We need to adjust our attitude away from feelings, and we need to trust that he can deliver us from the condemnation that comes whenever we try to reach out, and it doesn't seem to work out the way we thought it was going to work out. Do you know what? We didn't call us. We didn't sanctify us. We didn't die for the cross. It's just our place to hear and obey. Thank you, ladies. Let me close in prayer, and then I'm going to turn it back to Lisa. Is that okay? Okay.